What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. Amen. So what's up, guys? What's up, guys? Hey, if you, uh, as you're taking your seat, like I said, my name is Jacob. So I get to serve here as the Engage You intern and as well as a, a small group leader. So if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, hopefully afterwards uh, I will have that privilege. So if you've been with us, if this is your first week or you, that you've been coming, we've been journeying through a series, right? We've been looking at this idea of here comes heaven, right? So we're looking at in light of heaven, how does that impact today? In light of that, so we looked at the first week, if we have heaven, that we forever have hope, right? And then Jesse beautifully unpacked last week that where the people of God are, the presence of God is, right? So heaven, here comes heaven, so that as we're looking at and as we're going to dwell in and look at tonight is the fact of how can we have hope in hard times? And it's looking at the fact that we don't have to just live waiting on heaven, but we can fixate and we can meditate on this idea that here in the in-between, that heaven has already come to us through the form of Jesus, right? So that's kind of what we're going to be diving into tonight. And so before we get started, if you know anything about me, uh, I absolutely have something that means the world to me. And this is where uh, you're going to ask, you know, is this your, is this your family? Uh, the answer is no. It, it, are you going to ask, is this a pet? Uh, no. It is, as you probably guessed, the Lord of the Rings. I believe that this is like the best story like ever penned and hot take. It's the best movies ever made. And if you disagree with that, the, okay. If you disagree with that, there's a word that the old theologians used to use to describe you, and it's wrong. You are wrong. So inside this story, as I used to watch, I remember me and my grandmother uh, would watch this story, and it was kind of a weird balance between westerns and Lord of the Rings. So like, I didn't know whether to, whether to go out for like a western duel or like go hop on a dragon. So it was like kind of a weird childhood. And so like... I remember as I read this story and as I watched these movies over and over and over again, I remember, and yes, I watched it last week in preparation, but I remember like this idea of like, why do I love this story? And so when I was younger, it was like, you know, just awesome action sequences, cool stuff like that. But as I've grown and as I've uh, matured, not to the point to where I don't watch fantasy stories, but as I've matured a little bit, I look at this idea that like one of the reasons why I love this story about the Lord of the Rings is the reason why we all love these stories about the Lord of the Rings or about the Chronicles of Narnia or about any Harry Potter, these grand tales of adventure. And I, I know that maybe we can't relate to the idea of like, I've never fought like a wizard or something like that. But I do know what it's like to journey through life, to journey through struggles, to be on a journey and to deeply wonder and struggle and to wonder, in the end, does this all end happily? That's why we're attracted to these stories, that all of these smaller narratives point to the grand narrative. Is that deep inside of every human heart, we long for these things to be true. We long that 
we relate to these characters through the way they struggle, through the way they ask these hard questions, they walk through these things. We know what that's like deep down. There's a heart desire that gets like fulfilled there, right? And the author knew this, right? And so as we look at these stories, we connect with them. Because we say, no, we may not know what it's like to defend a castle, but we do know what it's like to see it and to passionately wonder, will all of this end happily? Will all of this, does it have a purpose? Are the things that we're walking through, is it, for, is it pointless or is it running towards something? I think that's the reason why we love movies, but also movies in the form of these stories, because we know the ending. They, they end happily. So in the midst of the battle, you know, you can keep fighting. You can keep on in the midst of the struggle because you know how it ends. And one of the most important moments of the, uh, this is found in the books, not the movies, not that you care. But at, like, one of the most pivotal moments of the Lord of the Rings comes at, at the end, Sam, right? Who turns out to be like the main character and the main hero of the Lord of the Rings. Is that Frodo can't throw the ring into Mount Doom. And so he stands up, right? He grabs all his last hope, all his last energy. He takes the ring and he throws it in, but he passes out, right? The, the struggle, the journey has been too much. And as they leave Mount Doom, he passes out while he's running, right? And an eagle comes and rescues him. And he and there's the most beautiful quote um, that comes from this. So he wakes up in his city outside, uh, back, back at peace, like in a, in a better time. And he asks this. He says, Gandalf. He wakes up and he finds Gandalf next to him. Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What has happened to this world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf, and he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, which is the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. And I think in Sam's words there are all sad things going to come untrue. I think in Sam's word we find our hearts wonderings. Amanda, when you're walking through this, when... A week ago, my mom was in a really bad car wreck that put her in the hospital. Or a couple of nights ago, I get a message that my grandmother's hospitalized and it's not looking really good for her. Is that these are the moments in which I think we connect with Sam. We connect with these dudes and we say, yeah, I'm in your account. Well, all of these sad things one day, will they, will they come untrue? Is all of this for point, is this pointless? Is this going somewhere? And I think it reveals deep down we long to believe through all the fighting, struggling, and pain that the story has a happy ending and a good one. And these stories ultimately reveal this one thing. We all long for hope. As human beings, Tim Keller says that we are hope-shaped and formed beings. So the question is not, do you hope? The question is, what do you hope in? Everyone in this room hopes in something. It's part of your nature. You have to. And if you don't believe in that, a human being that lives without hope, a small form of that is depression. The ultimate form of that is suicide. So it shows that human beings have to have a hope. We have to attach our meaning to something that we rest in. If we're honest, that hope is a beautiful thing, but oftentimes hope is hard to find. Hope is hard to find in times like this. 
we're standing in a season where hope is hard to find with the coronavirus, with things going crazy. And so oftentimes in life, hope can be hard to find. And we find that we're not the only people that have asked this. People throughout the entire Bible, the entire scriptures have asked this. We see one story where Jesus and his disciples are going on a boat and a great windstorm comes up. And they start to find the same thing. We find ourselves in this story in Mark chapter 4 beginning in verse 35. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. And so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said, and this is key. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And so I think they ask the same thing a lot of times as Christian believers we have asked. When we look at situations, when we look at circumstances, I think we've asked before, Jesus, what is going on? Do you not care that I am hurting? I'm praying. I'm, I don't know what else to do, but I can't deny the fact that I am hurting inside. I can't deny the fact that my faith sometimes has a lot more doubts to it than it does certainties. I find that a walk of faith has more questions to it sometimes than answers, right? Charles Spurgeon once said, show me a faith that's never doubted and I will show you a very weak faith. If these questions offend you, I would just say you've not lived long enough. The Bible has an ultimate promise it promises a lot of stuff, but ultimately the Bible is realistic. It says that following God doesn't mean that you won't have questions or struggles with that God you're following. That the Bible is realistic. The Bible shows pain is a promise in life. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or a non-believer. One of the guarantees you have in this life is pain. And if that upsets you, I would say that you've just simply not lived long enough. Is that for believers, we can be journeying through life in the will of God, doing everything the right way, and still have seasons of doubt, seasons of struggles, and seasons to where I find that I have more questions than I do answers. I find that I have more doubts than certainties. And I'm not trying to be mean, I promise, but if these things upset you, as maybe early in my Christian walk, I, I found I've been journeying with Jesus for seven years now. And I remember these things used to upset me. But what the fact is, is that the Bible doesn't promise you better life circumstances. It simply promises you a better life with Jesus. It doesn't promise that it'll change life circumstances. It promises that you'll have someone in those life circumstances journeying with you. One guy once said that the Son of God did not suffer so that men would not suffer, but that in their sufferings they would be made like him. This is what the Bible promises. And oftentimes some of the things we struggle with is not, this, it's not exactly just the suffering, but it's the shock of suffering. But read the book of Psalms. Great men of faith struggling to have hope faced with a hard world. A hard world. And that great work of art, the Princess Bride, has a, a beautiful wisdom-filled quote in which he says, Life is pain, your highness. Anyone who says different is simply selling you something. And here's the deal. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Here's the deal. 
The Bible is not selling you anything but declaring everything to you. The Bible is not selling you a pain-free life, but rather a savior in the midst of that pain. It is not selling you better life circumstances, but a better life found in Jesus. The Bible isn't telling you that you won't have pain, but that someone in that pain uses the pain, resides over the pain, has a purpose with the pain, and walks with you through the pain. That's what we find with the Bible. And as Christians walking with God, we need to be reminded that when we encounter things that challenge our hope, that shake our hope, we need to come back to what is a believer's hope? What is the foundation of it? What is the basis of it? How does a believer, how does a Christian in the midst of a broken world have hope? And so the biblical story of hope is called the gospel, is that Jesus came, he took on flesh, he died the death you should have died, three days later rose and is pleading before the throne for you so that you can have a right relationship with God. So the biblical story of hope is called the gospel, meaning that Christian hope is based not really in a what, but a who. Christian hope is not really based in a what, but in a who. And we see this laid out perfectly in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2, and then 5 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Every warrior's boots used in the battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be the fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. So notice what it says there, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. But notice that it says a light has dawned and not a light has sprung. And so it shows us that the foundation of Christian hope is, it's not found within you, but rather outside of you. Notice that it doesn't say that from this land a hope has sprung, but rather to this land a hope has come. So Christian hope and joy, and peace, and all of these things is never found within you. You cannot produce these things. These things simply have to be given to you. Hope has to be brought to you. It can't be found with you. And so there is a light outside of this world, and Jesus has brought that light to save us. John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of this world. Anyone who walks in me will have true life. Jesus is directly referring back to Isaiah 9 saying, I'm it. I'm the great light that has come. So the biblical hope is not based in a what, but it's based in a who. And hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And his story is the hope in your story. But we need to delve into that because that, that can sound so cliche, but what does that really mean? But it shows that in all of this, hope has to be a gift given to you. Your relationship, what does this show? Is that you were lost in deep darkness. Is that you were walking blind in a land of deep darkness. What does this show? Is that Jesus first pursued you long before you ever pursued him. Is that Jesus came in pursuit of you before you ever came into pursuit of him. That's a great love 
that has come for you. You are that cherished. You are that wanted. You are that loved. This is beautiful because it shows that if we pursue God, it's only because first and foremost, he has chosen to pursue us. He has sent the light that has pierced the darkness. And so what is this? Well, ultimately it shows that in hard times, the gospel message, when nothing makes sense around us, when our stories don't make sense, we have to rest in his story. What do I mean by that? Is that I was simply told growing up that the gospel is sort of the ABC of Christianity. It's sort of the entrance exam into Christianity. It kind of gets you in. You know what I mean? Like Jesus died for me and loved me, but uh, algebra is really hard. So I don't really know how does that connect? How does that, how does that come into my story? But what it shows here is that oftentimes in life that the gospel is not the ABC of Christianity, but rather the A through Z. As you journey through life and as you have questions that you might not know the answer to, when you don't know what's going on around you, we have to rest in what is done for you. When you don't understand the hand of God that is going on right now, we rest in the heart of God that he has come. He has loved us. The gospel is simply not the start of the Christian walk. It's the hope of the Christian walk. What else do we have to hope in? Peter says that we have been given and born into a living hope that God has came for us, right? To bring us out of the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. He has came to purchase you, to win you. He has come for you. This is the great gospel that while we could never journey to God, God journeyed to us. And let that, let that meditate, let your mind really sit on that. Can it be that there's a great love that you could never give anything to God in which he would say, oh, I'm going to really miss out if I ain't got you. But rather he goes, I have everything and I just want to give it to you. A free love. So we walk in light of the gospel. It's not the start of the Christian walk, it's the source of the Christian walk is that while we could never journey upward to him, we have to remind ourselves in hard times, what do we rest in? He's proved his love for me because while I could never journey upward to him, he has journeyed downward to me, first and foremost. While we were lost in darkness, the light has come. While we were blind, the way has come to lead us. And while we could never know God because of our sin, the truth has come to show us our God. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You need a way, you need a truth, and you need life because it's not found in you, it's given to you. And he's came to bring it. He's come to give you these things. And so when, when life gets hard and, and this great, amazing, beautiful message that Jesus loves me, but if you just want to come into the story of my life, what, how, do, how, does that, how does that really come into the fact when my mom's in the hospital? How does that really come into the fact when my grandmother's in the hospital? How does that come into, how is, how is that the hope? And it's this, that when you don't understand these temporary darknesses and what's going on and how can I have hope in this, we rest in the fact that if God did not leave us in our ultimate darkness, being sin, 
He will never leave us in our temporary darknesses, be in our struggles. How does that come in? Is that when you're faced with great pain, man, you need a great hope. That God, I may not understand why you've allowed this. I may not understand why this is happening. But what I can understand and I can walk by faith in, when sight seems to, everything's falling apart. But I can have faith that in the midst of it all, the one who holds every detail of my life gave me life. When I don't understand, God, how can, how can your hope come into not just every detail, but ultimately the dark details? How can it come into this? We rest in the fact that if Jesus first pursued you and did not leave you in your ultimate darkness... You think now he's just going to check out and leave you in your temporary darkness? No. The Bible says that he's close to the brokenhearted. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's journeying there with you. He's the one that told the disciples to get into the boat and go. Why? Because he was saying that it's not that we won't have hardships, but in our hardships we will simply know him. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says that, For we know all things work together for the good of those that are called according to his purpose. For this works to conform you into the image of Christ. We know that all things in life simply are to reveal how we can know God more and love him deeper. That's the path of your life that will not shield you from every pain and struggle, but rather it gives you one in the pain and struggle that you can come to know. So the hope that Jesus came for us while we were ultimately lost is the proof and the hope he will never leave us when we feel lost. Is that if you were lost and he came for you, chances are he will when you feel lost lost. You're not lost anymore. And so we can rest in that. And so I think journeying back into the disciples' story, I think that it has a great truth and how can we really know this? So starting back in verse 38, let's look at this. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and, bru- and rebuked rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said to them why are you afraid have you still no faith and they were filled with great fear and said to one another who then is this even the wind and the sea obey him I think this directly has something to play that he calmed their storm by making it his storm and where where do we see that Let's look in Daniel chapter 3, a very familiar story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar throws three guys into the furnace. Chances are you've heard this story. But it says this in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. They answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So I want you to consider that story. Three were thrown into the fire. Four were found in the fire. Three left the fire. One did it. So what does that mean for us today? 
is that we can trust that if he stayed behind to take the ultimate fire so that we could have peace in our fires, that we could walk out of our fires. He came to give peace to the disciples' storms because he wouldn't receive peace from his own storm. And you say, what do you mean, Jesus? There's, there's two storms. They, the disciples have one that comes up, but all throughout the narrative of Scripture, we see Jesus referring to something that he's come to face, that he's come to take on. And ultimately, it's sin, but to pay for sin has to be God's wrath. And what does he say? He said, I'll calm your storm simply because I've come to take the ultimate storm. I can give peace to the disciples because I won't have that same peace. No one will calm the storm that's going to come on me. And what is that storm? It's the storm of God's wrath. I think it's interesting. They say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And it's so funny because ultimately, yes, it's the reason he came. But B is when Jesus... Jesus stood beside them in their storm. But if you remember, they never stood beside him in his storm. Every disciple forsook him. Every disciple left him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was really wrestling with what he's about to take on to take the cup of God's wrath, and when he's wrestling, they wouldn't even stay awake to pray for him. And I think it's, I think it's divine comedy that Jesus says, yes, I care the fact that you're perishing. It's the reason why I came. But why don't you care the fact I've come to perish? Because while you will leave me, you'll forsake me. I never will. I'll never forsake you. And Christian, when you journey through dark and hard times, will you forsake Jesus? Uh, the answer is yes. Yes. You have to have hope and strength given to you, being the Holy Spirit, because it's not just found within you. And that while you would forsake Jesus, Jesus never forsook you. He took the cross. He walked through that. He calmed their storm by making it his storm. And so what does this mean? We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we could ever dreamed. But we are more loved and accepted in Christ than you could ever hope. I'm not that smart to come up with something like that. A guy named Tim Keller did. But it's that simply this. If Jesus came to make enemies of God, children of God, do you think he's going to abandon you now? See, what are we looking at? We're looking at the fact that if the gospel story is fundamentally true, I'm not talking about Jesus died a million miles away on a cross, and yeah, that happened, and that's probably a good thing. I'm talking about when you really look at it, when you really bring that home, you bring that from up here to right here in, and you internalize that story. You know what you find? If that story's true, then it bears weight on every other story in my life. If he did not leave me in my ultimate darkness, he's not going to forsake me in my temporary darkness. If he's going to be with me then when I was never with him, he'll forever be with me. Even when I walk away, Jesus won't. He's near to the brokenhearted, although you would never be near to him. It's his love. It's his power. It's his things that you're meant to rest in, not yours.
We need to be humbled of the fact we don't give anything to Jesus other than our worship when he has given us everything. This, the story is not that you give to Jesus anything because he needs you, but rather you take everything from him because it's been freely given to you out of his free love for you. It's that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we can rest in that, that our ugliness, our weakness highlights his beauty and his strength. Now, oftentimes, God will allow these struggles to come into your life to reveal to you a deep humility. I know what that's like when a series of life events to where, um, and if you're a friend of mine, you have heard this story about a hundred times, but I'm going to tell it again. Um, I came home one day. Mom was crying in the uh, living room. I asked her what was going on. She had just found out she was diagnosed with brain cancer. Uh, not the funnest thing to walk into, I can assure you. Uh, a couple of days later, uh, I was dating a girl. It was going really well. We were actually looking at engagement. I got a random phone call that said, Hey, uh, I just don't love you anymore, and I'm out. You can imagine that was a fun phone call. And then ultimately, I didn't really grow up with a very close family, so I lived with my grandmother, and I was her caretaker. And she got too sick to where I couldn't really be there for her. I couldn't give her the care that she needed. And ultimately, I had to um, come to grips with that. And she was my closest family member and my best friend. Um, and I had to move her to um, a place in Oregon where she, could get her, uh, where she could get her the proper help that she needed. I remember I planned on buying that house. I planned on living in that house. I planned on having a family in that house. And I had to sell that house. I remember some of the guys in here were helping me move stuff out of it. And I was an emotional wreck. And I'm like, God, why? And I'm wrestling with these things. And I remember just praying and asking God, God, none of this makes sense. And I walked through a hard season. Because I want to encourage you. The Bible does not treat you like a project. It does not give you one verse to memorize. And 24 hours from now, you will be fixed. There are long journeys of pain and deep hurt you have walked through through but there is a patient God and a patient Jesus and a patient Holy Spirit that will walk through you with that it took me about a year it was a hard journey but God came near to me in that time and, and he became real God moved from an abstract idea to a person and that I found if he did not leave me in my ultimate darkness he surely didn't forsake me in this temporary darkness so that we can see that the Son of God did not appear so that men would not suffer, but in their suffering they would be made like Him. They would know Him. We're so prone to wander away from God. God has to bring seasons of suffering and hardships into us because we're too busy looking around we would never look up. And suffering decentralizes yourself from your life and causes you to look up, not around. And it reveals there's no hope around you. There's only hope above you. And that hope has came for you. That hope has came for you when you would never have come to him. He has journeyed all the way to you. As a true story, and don't you doubt that. God has proven that. And so we see this, that God forsook Jesus so he wouldn't have to forsake you. Jesus was ultimately forsaken 
so that now you could just feel forsaken. In your temporary pain and struggles that you're walking through, and I'm not demeaning that stuff, it wasn't fun. But I found a God who was near, and I found a God who loved me, and I found a God, and it blew me away by how patient he was when Christians around me said, hey man, it's been, it's been a while. You need to heal from these things. You need to move on. I found a God that was patient and walked with me through it. So what does this reveal? Lastly, it reveals the cross may not show us what every detail of our suffering means, but rather it shows us what every detail of our suffering can't mean. You might not turn to the book of, uh, you're, not, you're not going to turn to a chapter in the Bible and it says, and when she breaks up with you, it'll, have, it'll do this. You know, or you're not, when you get cut off from your job, it means this. Or when that college denies you, or when he or she denies you. No, you're not going to find that. But ultimately what the gospel story proves and brings home is that when you may not know what every detail of this is crafting, you can know, maybe when you don't know the reason why it's happening, you can know the reason why it's not happening. It can't mean God doesn't love you. It can't mean God doesn't care. And it can't mean that God has forsaken you because the gospel says otherwise. So the cross of Jesus may not reveal every minute detail of your season suffering, but rather it does reveal every detail of what it can't mean. Your season of suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, that you're a failure to God, and that he has abandoned you, but rather he has loved you because the gospel story is true. Let that filter over your circumstance. Let the gospel of God filter over. Let that story filter over every story that you walk through. You'll find hope, you'll find peace, and you'll find Jesus based outside of you. If he didn't leave you in your sin, he won't leave you in your storm. If the gospel story is fundamentally true, you filter circumstances not searching for God's love, but coming from God's love. Because he has come for you, you move from him. Not you come for him. He's proven that love to you. The gospel becomes the faith in which you walk. When sight says, yeah, God lost control a long time ago, faith says no. If he didn't leave me then, he won't leave me now. Tim Keller says this, if the death of Jesus Christ happened for us and he bore our hopelessness so that now we can have hope and if the resurrection of Jesus has happened, then even the worst things will turn into the best things and the greatest things for believers are yet to come. What does this mean? Here comes heaven. And here comes heaven 2,000 years ago for you. It has happened, and it will happen. The one who is and is yet to come. The gospel for believers will truly mean, just like Sam wondered, if the gospel is true for believers, it'll mean all sad stories on this side or the next will be made untrue. There is hope in hard times always. There is a purpose always, and one day you will know it. Let's rest in that hope tonight. Let's pray and let's worship this great God. Father, I thank you so much, God. God, that when I don't understand some of these dark details, when, I, when I'm blown away by how weak I am and how pathetic of a person I am, I, I was sure that you would have left me a long time ago. God, your faithfulness 
was still the same seven years ago is still the same now and it'll never fail us. God, when I don't understand your hand that allows some of the things to happen, I trust in your heart is good, it is true, you love me, that is truth. And I pray that circumstances in here and stories in here can be impacted by that story then. The great gospel story that says, yes, for believers, God has come to make all sad things untrue. That's a journey for some of us in here that will take time. For some of us in here, we're journeying through forgiveness. We're journeying through deep questions. We're journeying through broken relationships and broken families. But ultimately, we're not searching for hope because you have brought us hope. We can know that our hope has a name, our peace has a name, our joy has a name, and our love has a name, and that name is Jesus. Jesus is in your great and wonderful name, we pray. Amen. Let's worship.